Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, we want to thank everybody for listening and joining us for Sober October. And uh, we want to thank all of our guests being so brave and kind to get on here and share their stories. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's, it's their, I mean, their addiction stories, right? So, I mean, and, and Tony, I've really never asked our listeners, but you know, we're going to, we're going to plead with you to, uh, to share this podcast with, with, you know, any, anyone really, because, you know, you never know who, who needs to hear um, these stories. Um, we've also left a couple web links in our podcast descriptions um, it's just a couple organizations that can help with addiction. Hey, hey, welcome to your day off. My name is Corey, and of course, I'm sitting next to my best bud, Tony. What's up, buddy? What's going on, buddy, man? Dude, you know, uh, we are in a month uh, that, you know, we talk about how excited and how awesome you know our guests are and this month and they are 100 100 100 and and they've given so much and done so much but this month i you know i'm totally humbled and grateful and mm-hmm. i'm still excited but it's just kind of in, in a way that i'm excited for the people that's going to listen and and the 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 message mm-hmm. touches them in a way that probably they might not have ever been touched you know what i mean it's it's sober October. Obviously, we're right. well in the middle of sober October. Exactly. Everybody knows what it is, and uh, but you know, it's just it's it's been an amazing, amazing month so far. It has been, and and I'm really you know use the word grateful. I I am really grateful that that the people that have shared this month have shared their stories and have been transparent and open and all that stuff about it. Um, but you know, we we the more and more that we do this, and the more people that we talk to, not just our guests, but even people that we talk to off air, like it's uh it's something that our industry hasn't really addressed so much. I mean, I can't, I'm not saying that it hasn't addressed it, but, but it's really hard to find. There hasn't been this real strength into, into addressing, you know, um, the uh, people that have struggled with addictions and stuff in our industry. So again, that, 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 that's what makes it so much more, you know, for me, you know, being grateful because it's hard to tell your best friend some right. of your deepest darkest secrets no doubt and these people are coming in and telling the whole world their, their deepest darkest secrets the th- you, you just know, gave me the chills <laughs> kind of like literally went through my head I was like, Whoa. and it's so <laughs> true right yeah, and so no it's you know that's that's why i think this is going to be so important uh in our industry yeah uh, for you know this this particular uh, this month yeah i agree i mean it's 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 humbling, man. It's humbling to know you a little bit better through this episode myself. <laughs> awesome. Well, welcome, man. We're, we're we're happy to have you. Um, so tell us, uh, you know, just give us like you know a couple um, a couple minutes of just uh, who are you in the industry and how'd you get in the industry and all that good stuff. Oh my gosh, I have such an awesome story. Um, I came up through the industry under royalty, literally. I mean. Um, I walked into Chaffee Rouge in San Diego at 14 to buy a bottle of Paul Mitchell, the conditioner. And I met Pamela Peretti and Robert Cromines. Wow. And I want to say, you, you go, this is going to go way crazy. You met them <laughs> by buying a, a bottle of shampoo. Oh, let's get clear. The conditioner. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry, right, sorry, yeah. sorry, 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 <laughs> <The> conditioner. <laughs> My bad, Robert. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. That's a, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt, but uh, yeah, <laughs> continue. Carry on. <laughs> yeah, it gets better. Um, so I was, you know, young, pr- somewhat kind of natural. I'd been doing my own hair since I was in 
I don't know, seventh grade, maybe fifth grade. I think I did my first perm, you know, in fourth grade. And, um, on myself, you know, this is all on me, but anyway, uh, they, my hair was really long, super natural. And they asked if I wanted to model for them. And that led me to meet Jean Bra and Gary Lyons. And I started modeling for Jean and for the next four or five years, that's, that was part of my, part of my life. I was dropout, um, getting my GED and, uh, trying to work towards, you know, some kind of future as a high school dropout from a small town <laughs> in Texas. <laughs> and so Jean inspired me to go to school. Um, I went to beauty school at San Diego City College. And when I graduated, I got my license and I went to work for um, Shop Rouge had just become a Robert Crumming salon. And so I started working for, for Robert and Stephanie, Stephanie Kachowski and um, Tony Fiorentino and Liz Saucedo, all just a, a really incredible group of hairdressers. Wow, you just had some of the some, you know, some, such great education around you from the. <laughs> the I mean, she, she went lying when she said royalty, right? Right, exactly, exactly. So, <laughs> you know, being with um, being with that crew at that stage, it was just we were right on the cusp of of starting a Robert Romans, um salon team as we were going out into the United States and doing education. So that's my foundation on that back, my background. You know, we were, we were the ones testing the Paul Mitchell color. We were the ones testing the education platform. And, um, and I got to, uh, to be, a, you know, right, right in there with, with all of it. It was incredible. That's pretty awesome. So what, um, so are you still in the industry now? Yep. I work behind the chair for five days, five days, no, four days a week, really. And, um, I left Roberts probably halfway through my career. I've been behind the chair now for 20 plus years and I had my own salon. So I've owned my own salon. I've worked in a salon as a commission stylist, as a booth renter. Um, and now I'm in a solo space in a healing business. Um, there's a, a collaborative in Normal Heights, and um, I rent a room there. And there's acupuncturists and estheticians and all kinds of different types of entrepreneurs in the creative small business arena. Um, but I'm the only hairdresser there. Well, that's pretty cool. It's kind of similar to what we do with the suite, except we're with a bunch of other, you know, hairstylists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's pretty cool. I mean, that's pretty cool to kind of open up. Okay, so um, I guess we all kind of know why we're here this month um, for Sober October. Like, where does where does that part of your story start? Well, that started um, that started a long time ago. I mean, I think uh, for me, being open and honest about my recovery, I like to inform people that I think that um, some of us are genetically predisposed to addiction. And, um, I was high functioning and really devoted to making something of my life to kind of prove all the people that I had left, you know, back in Texas in the small town, I really wanted to, to prove them wrong. And, um, so even though I, um, could drink like an adult at 14, <laughs> I, I couldn't get access to it. So, you know, there was only small increments of time where I would abuse alcohol. And then I had to, you know, to get back into life. So I never really quite understood what it meant to be an alcoholic. But I think in the back of my mind, I knew I was because I liked to drink. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, honestly, jumping into um, kind of a rock star status with a Robert Cromian salon, you know, crew, we were partying pretty, pretty hard back then. Right. Um, and, and it was, it was just what you did, you know, you, you worked hard and you partied hard. And when we did shows, you know, we'd go out every night and get together with all the other hairdressers and, you know, and ruck it up at the bar. And that was just how it went. Um, I didn't really understand that it was starting to, uh, affect my career and my ability to be on stage with Robert and Stephanie and everybody else. Um, until I think I was probably a couple years out of, of leaving. And, um, and it was that idea that it was the stress of the job. It was them, not me. Um, 
I didn't quite get that, you know, wherever you go, there you are. So I thought if I left and did something different, then my drinking wouldn't be so bad. That phrase is so profound, right? I mean, I think even even when you're in in in, in the shop or in the industry, you, you figure, you know, if, if I leave, it's going to be better. But mm-hmm. right, you follow <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Wherever you are, you're supposed to be, right? right. That's uh, crazy. So, India, so um, let's just talk a, a little. Well, I'll just ask a couple questions. Like, you're drinking. Were you like, you know, there's different. I don't want to define anything. I'm sorry. That's sorry, okay. guy. Um, was it like that you were drinking to excess? Was it that you were drinking too much? Were you drinking every day? Like, like what did your habit look like? Um, I would consider myself a binge drinker. Um, so I would, you know, being behind the chair, um, what I've come to understand, you know, the stress of being on, you know, pretty much 10 to 12 hours a day, you don't really get many breaks, you know, and, and you're in someone's company for a long period of time. And by the end of the day, it was, you know, the letdown of of needing some isolation, needing some kind of um, relief. And so I would drink, you know, when I got home um, to a minimum enough so that I could get up and, you know, go back to work and do it all over again. On the weekends, though, it was, you know, um, it was on. You know, as soon as, as soon as Saturday night hit, it was on, you know, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, um, you know, try to get my shit back together on Monday and then get to work on Tuesday. And a lot of times, you know, I'd be calling in sick on Tuesday morning um, because I couldn't get my shit together. Wow. And, you know, what that can look like for some people is that they're, you know, they're drinking and using all day long or they're, you know, they're maximizing their drink with drug. But I was just a kind of a straight up wino. I um, mean, I love whiskey and tequila, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, my my um, interior dialogue was always, you know, I'm just going to have a little bit, and then a little bit always turned into more. But it, in driving home after a long day, if I knew that I only had half a bottle of wine, I knew that wasn't enough. And so I, I would always have to stop and get more, you know, wow. or I would end up walking to the liquor store, you know, after a couple of glasses thinking, I'll just get one more bottle and have a little bit of that. And then I'd finish it. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's the, the dialogue of an alcoholic, you know, I want to be really clear, like I am an alcoholic. I have what we call in, in our, you know, world of recovery, the threefold disease and understanding that I have a, a spiritual malady had and working on constantly. I have a mental obsession and a physical allergy. And I didn't understand the physical allergy part of it. And that meant that when I put alcohol into my body, I could not stop drinking. So when people question whether they're an alcoholic or a hard drinker, they have a problem. Like I want, I want to make sure that people understand, like I could not stop once I started. Well, you know, that's that's it's almost enlightening, right? right. Yeah, I like, exactly. I like the way that she phrased it and the way that she, you know, called it a uh, an allergy, an alcohol allergy, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, not like an anaphylactic allergy, right? But <laughs> thank goodness, <laughs> thank goodness, I, I wouldn't have been able to drink. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, but an allergy in in sense of you know of of I can't stop. Yeah. Period. Yeah. So yeah. I mean. And- um, to go back a little bit, so you were a daily drinker as well as a binge drinker, right? Like, like, yeah, and trying to control it always, you know, trying to maintain and control is is you know typical of a high functioning alcoholic. It's just like if I can manage well, I can continue to drink the way that I want to. Were you were you aware then that you might had a might have an issue, or it was just a way to get through the day? I think I was always aware and was afraid of somebody finding out my secret. You know, I look back at journals from those years and I can see the conversation with myself. You know, if I could just manage my drinking, then this would be better, you know, or also the arsenal of, of blame um, that, you know, I'm from an alcoholic family. The, um, the, all the excuses that I would like to look at, you know, that gave me, um, the fuel to continue my addiction. You know, I deserve to take a drink because 
of ABCD fill in the blank. Oh, so you're validating the exactly the right to do it, right? Yep. Right. I deserve this. I've worked yeah. hard this week. You know. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Or you know, I deserve this. I've I've been through hell and back. Or I, you know, People nobody's nobody. Yeah, nobody understands. Right. The right. isolation. Yeah. But you kind of sometimes you control you uh you create your own hell so you have a reason to uh to use. Oh, totally. You're like oh. Can you believe the way she looked at me? I need a yep. drink. <laughs> right, like, <laughs> exactly. You know? So was it a progression? Like you said, like, you know, I guess you started, you know, but you can only do it and you really, you know, couldn't really get to it at a younger right. uh, India. But did, could you see just or feel the progression as, you know, like looking back at a half it? bottle wasn't enough. Oh, right. A right. bottle, you know, did it just, I mean, how how far did it go? Well, I think what's interesting for me is that I was so consumed with being successful that I was capable of handling it, you know, in certain arenas. Um, and what I, what I kept finding out was like, you know, I was super successful at Robert Cromings educating for Paul Mitchell, um, you know, had, was buying shit, you know, had the purses, had the, the wardrobe, had, you know, was getting the car, um, condo, you know, ad infinitum, all of the things that success looks like out on the outside, but it wasn't filling that gaping God-sized hole on the inside. Mm. And you hear that story so many times, uh, right? It, you know, you can, it, you see it, right? You, see, you mm-hmm. can have all the money in the world. But it doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, spiritually, uh, you're you're not content. You're not right. you're yeah. fulfilled. You're, right. you're constantly seeking, and and that's yes. a way to kind of like try to fill that hole, right, with your addiction. Well, yes. you're right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that's you know, like I said, you know, wherever you go, there you are. And when I left Robert Cromings, I think that was part of my idea was that if I was to go off and have my own business, that that would make me more responsible, and therefore that I would be able to manage my you know my drinking more. I wouldn't want to drink as much, or you know, whatever the thought process. Wait, wait is. a sec, wait a sec, wait a sec, wait a sec. I'm going to slow you down there a little bit, India. Um, so we're. Mm-hmm. we're I don't want to say you were blaming Robert for it, but, but, but you, you actually had the thought that if I leave, maybe I'll drink less. Like, were you right. blaming your drinking on, on the situation that you were in? You were looking for a different situation? Well, not blaming, but definitely looking at the high stress of the situation. You know, when you're mm-hmm. an educator, you're flying, you're working all week, flying out on, you know, Saturday, working all weekend long, educating, flying back mm-hmm. on a Monday, going to work on a Tuesday. Right. So, you know, and that's, that's a fucking huge honor. You know, I knew what I was doing was important and that I was, it was, a, you know, direct reflection of what I had put in and who I was as a hairdresser to, to Robert and, and Paul Mitchell. But, um, you know, you can only hold that schedule <laughs> for so long, you know, and I was looking at the stress of it and looking at the, the idea of like, if I have my own schedule, if I make up my own, you know, life, if I have more control, maybe I will drink less. Maybe I will be happier. Maybe I will be more content. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, and so, so you open up your new salon and, yeah. Although, although whoever opened up a new salon going like I'm looking for less stress <laughs> <laughs> right delusional <laughs> thinking my dear delusional <laughs> how long did it take you to realize that hey that didn't leave it followed me here dude um, right totally it didn't take very long unfortunately um, but it was really cool. It was a great experience. It was a small salon, but it was, uh, did very well in an upcoming neighborhood here in San Diego and it was beautiful and people loved it. I was busy as get all get out. Um, I had a wonderful assistant. My partner at the time was going to beauty school and he was working there and, um, you know, it was awesome. I loved it. But again, like wherever you go, there you are. And I was an alcoholic and I was, in my own place and I could do whatever the fuck I wanted to, excuse me. 
Sorry, right. I, I forgot right. to ask if cussing was okay. <laughs> it's a podcast, you're fine. <laughs> but, you know, it, clients knew I, you know, had bottles of wine ready for them when they came in and, you know, they have a glass with me, India. Of course I'll have a glass with you, you know. Mm-hmm. Working late, working early, you know, whatever the hours were, you know, we'd be either having champagne in the morning or wine at night. And, you know, I'm, got, I'm kind of grateful for that situation because it ran that into the ground quickly. My drinking did, you know, it became overwhelming quickly again. Right. And I, and I ran away from that responsibility thinking that that was the cause of all the drinking and the drama. So, so going to that, you know, when you were with Robert Cormines, you were talking about, you know, you were trying to hide it, you know, want people to know now you're on your own salon. Did, did you care less about trying to hide it or were you still trying to hide it? And if so, uh, did, did people come up to you to try to point it out? Hey, you have a, a, a drinking issue or I mean, that's a good question. Like did anyone ever point, you know, point you in the right direction, so to speak? You know, it's amazing to me how <laughs> I would party with my girlfriends and the next morning I'd wake up and kind of look at them sheepishly like, Oh shit, you know, walking blackout. What did I do last night? and I you know luckily and I say that in a way luckily I surrounded myself with people who drank like me so that I could continue to get away with what I was doing Mm. and it it had to be that way because I would not have been able to to find recovery the way that I did unless I really ran that shit aground and needed to right. get to the bottom of it was my drinking, not theirs. It was my responsibility, not theirs. You know, all of that kind of stuff at the, at the very end of it, you know. Um, and that, you know, again, like I had all the stuff. I owned the salon. I had the house. I had the car. I had the, you know, and it's still, you know, the drinking was just right there in the front of everything. Just running the show. Running me into the ground. That's so let's get into that a little bit. Like what, um, did you have a bottom or what was your bottom and you know, what did that look like? I mean, what was your aha moment? I guess is the question. Um, I think aha moment. I, I have a little piece of paper that I carry around in my wallet and, and I will get emotional about this because it was one of those moments where, you know, fuck, it's hard when you realize that you've pushed everything out of your life to, to just be alone with your alcohol. And I was sitting on a bench in Balboa park and I was on the phone with my mom and I had already, um, I had already tried to drink. I had already tried to quit drinking on my own multitude of times in private. You know, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. And I'm on the phone with my mom saying, I I don't know what to do. You know, I'm, I'm at the point where, I'm so uncomfortable in my own skin that I can't, I can't find solution anywhere. Nothing is making me happy. And I, I wrote down on a piece of paper, you know, what that looked like. And I carry that so that I can pull it out every once in a while, you know, to really drive home the fact that, you know, you can have everything and still be completely broken and, alone um in a in a world full of people who love you it doesn't matter you know do you um do you want to share that piece of paper uh you know i don't actually have my my wallet with me so i can't i can't pull it out but it just it Mm -hmm. says you know it's just a full description i'm sitting on a bench in balboa park by myself crying on freaking starbucks napkins (laughs) um (laughs) And I don't feel anything and I can't find love. I can't find peace. I can't find gratitude for my life as beautiful as I had tried to make it. I know a beautiful condo, the car, everything looked really good on the outside, but I was so discontent and unhappy and full of fucking shame. To be honest with you, like the, the cycle of shame in drinking is for someone like me who is super successful in every other area of their life, you can't, um, and you can't control this one thing. You know, why can't I fix this one thing? Going to therapy for 10 years, you know, trying to figure it out so that I could fix it so I could drink the way that I wanted to. And getting to the place of 
you know, I've given everything else to a God of my understanding. Why do I think I can't give my drinking and my abuse to this, to this power greater than myself? Mm. And that's, that's that surrender point. I went to the ocean one day and I sat down and I, I looked at the ocean as kind of a natural source of, you know, God's presence. And I just said, I don't know what to do. And, and the message that came to me was alcohol is not your friend. Mm. So when you're on the phone with your mom there, what, um, it had to be pretty emotional for her as well. I mean, Tony and I are both parents, so we kind of get that. Mm-hmm. But, um, mm-hmm. What, um, what advice did your mom give her? Was she just there to, to, to hear you out? She, um, it was very emotional and yes, I have a child and I, I feel that, um, that pain of that situation and being the parent looking into, you know, how do you help this person? And she's an incredible, uh, human being, healer, mother, friend. And I don't think that she really understood how bad it was. Um, no one did because I did a lot of my drinking in private and, you know, when you finally open up to someone and say you're in pain, it's overwhelming. Um, she didn't know what to do. She didn't know what to say. She just, you know, I love you. How can I help you? And I didn't really know how she could help me either, to be Mm -hmm. honest with you. You know, at that point, I didn't know anything about recovery. I didn't know, you know, whether I should go to a rehab or I should go to, you know, a sober living. Um, but, I, I have to say I'm, I'm one of the really lucky people that I, um, I've heard in the rooms of, of 12 step meetings now that I was struck sober. Mm-hmm. It, it was that moment of giving it to God. <laughs> Sorry, I get emotional. Yeah, well, we'll get there with you. Yeah. <laughs> I had that. So, okay. So what, just to be frank, Indy, I mean, what was the next morning like? You know, after you got off that phone call, you, you, you at that point you had to make some kind of commitment. What'd that look like? Yeah, I, I, I had a client who was in a twelve-step program, and I, he had watched me go back and forth with it. You know, every New Year's Eve, I'm going to quit drinking, and right. you know, all that kind of stuff. And he said, "I, I will take you to a meeting." So, and I had, so this happened. How quickly did this happen after the uh, the aha with your mom? Like, um, I had, I drank again. Um, that was, mm. that was, uh, probably January, February. And, um, I drank again in April, um, blackout drunk driving through San Diego with family in the car. Oh. Yeah. With my most, my most precious family at that point, I didn't have children of my own. I had my two cousins who were of age to drink, but still like my brothers and sisters, like these were, these were my most precious family. And I was in a blackout drunk driving them around San Diego, showing them a good time. Mm. Yeah. And that was, that was it. That was the turning point because I had not been drinking and I thought I'll just drink while my family's here. And then I end up in a blackout drunk. That's, you know, that's how quick. That was it. So, so this, happened, this happened a few months after that conversation with your mom. I'm just trying to get right. the time. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. I mean, that's what happens. Right. You know, you, and, and I didn't have the uh, relapse that happens, you know, in front of people in a meeting where you're going to meetings and you're showing up and then you have a relapse, you know, so it, it wasn't in public. Um, so nobody really knew that I was trying to control my drinking at that point. Right. Did it, did, did, did addiction run through your family or did you know anybody else in your family that had? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's thick on both sides. My, my dad's side um, is Irish, English and American Indian. (laughs) 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 And I got some more English and Irish on the other side. So, you know, it's, it's thick. It's, you know, every alcoholic gene you could have, I have it. And you felt like you couldn't go to them. Uh, were they were they, were they able to pull themselves out of it? And uh, did you feel comfortable be, being able to go to them, or it just? No, everybody at that point who I knew was an alcoholic and had problem with alcohol was dead, and that's just because they were old. You know, the right. point that I was dealing with it, I was the only one in my family who was showing up with these issues, and you know, it's still like I said, it, it was so undercover. 
um, you know, that, that they didn't really understand how bad the problem had gotten. So, um, you know, even with the blackout driving my family around drunk and, 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 um, you know, waking up hungover and, and having to deal with answering questions that still didn't get me sober. Wow. You know, and, and you, there's way bigger bottoms, you know, people get DUIs right. and, you know, they ruin everything. They lose everything. You know, I'm so grateful that my bottom was more of an emotional bottom than a physical bottom. Well, and, and, I think that, and I think that even, you know, to, to kind of take it away from us a little bit and to, you know, even anyone that might be listening is that everybody's bottom is different. Oh yeah. You know, and, and the acceptance of yourself is what it comes down to. And what are you, what are you willing to accept from yourself? So, you know, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, just maybe some of it, I don't want to put any positive on, but you know, maybe just some of us are more enlightened about what that bottom is, you know, oh, or, totally. or so, uh, you know, I mean, it's not a, it's not, it's not a competition of bottoms. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not a competition of bottoms. It, it is exactly. it, a aha moment. Yeah. Like she said exactly. earlier, there's three components, right? There's the mental, spiritual and the physical and yeah. you can have a bottom on each one exactly yeah. that's true exactly. so what did so so did, was your client in your chair and you and, and you reached out for help from him or did or did mm-hmm. he or did he kind of see something in you like india it's time or, or did well he had to have seen that you were ready you know so right. what did that what did that conversation sound like and did it happen in your chair or did you or did you seek him out um it happened in my chair it, it was it was a total God thing, you know, looking back on all of it is just so powerful to see how it was orchestrated, orchestrated, you know, divinely inspired moments of that client coming in, me saying I'm ready to go to a meeting, having a huge break, going to the ocean, hearing that message from, you know, my higher power, God, whatever you want to call it, alcohol is not your friend. And from that point on, I had to wait a week. I, if I had had the balls to go to a meeting by myself. I would have, I should have been in a meeting immediately, but mm-hmm. I had to wait a week for that client to take me to a meeting and that there was so, hold on, hold on, so to paint the picture. So did you look ahead of your book? You're like, Oh, thank God he's coming in on Thursday. No, no. Okay. It wasn't one of those things. It was like, he came in, the words came out of my mouth. I need to go to a meeting. I think I'm ready you know, to quit drinking. And he said, I'll take you to this great meeting, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, but it's not until Monday, but it was my day, you know, Monday's my day off. So I'm like, okay, that's good. I can have that whole day to prepare to go an hour meeting. <laughs> um, but it, it you was a party that week. Cause it's going to be my last week or that's a good question. Actually. You know, I, that was, that's the thing, you know, that was that moment of being like struck sober. Seriously. There was beer in the fridge. There was a jug of tequila in the cabinet. You know, there was, there was stuff there waiting for me and it did not matter. It just, I don't know, you know, I can't explain it. People who've been through it know it's just, it didn't matter. And I knew that I was done and I had to be done. I just needed to figure out what my solution for living was going to be when I didn't have the alcohol to get me through whatever it was that I needed to get through. Wow. What was that first meeting like? So here it is Monday and you're with, uh, <laughs> you're with your client and like, did you, did you, did you participate or did you kind of just sit back and listen or, you know, what was, you know, it, it I mean, was so scary. Oh, it's okay. It's, it's one of those kind of cool things because I think, you know, it can be so intimidating and it was so cool. It was so less intimidating than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we were on the way there, I kept asking, you know, what's going to happen? What are they going to say to me? Am I going to have to talk? Like, you don't have to do anything. You just go in. They don't know who you are. Just sit down, listen, and then see how you feel afterwards. And when we got there and the meeting started, there's, you know, someone who says in the beginning of every meeting, if there's anyone here in their first 30 days of sobriety, would you like to introduce yourself so that we can get to know you better? And I, I was compelled, propelled, moved to stand. You don't have to stand up. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I stood, my body stood itself up and said, my name is India and I am an alcoholic. 
What did that feel like the first time that came over your lips? Was it difficult? Was it hard? Oh my gosh, you guys, it was the most freedom I had felt in I don't know how long. Yeah, exactly. Oh, much love. That's so, 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 okay. So you, all of a sudden you got this freedom and the next day you go to work or all your friends are right. Obviously, you know, either alcoholics or enjoyed partying. <laughs> Did, and, your clients, and your clients and my so, clients yeah so did you feel like all of a sudden you're 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 alone you're doing this well, what's that responsibility yeah right? i mean mm-hmm. you know because your your whole surrounding everything around you is what you're trying you're fighting right right how did you overcome that that seems like a huge mountain you know luckily the the group of women that i was working at at the time um were what you know i consider to be normies now um (laughs) you guys that don't have a problem with alcohol i call normies (laughs) um you know they had a what we consider a normal relationship with alcohol and you know i was the one coming in on you know in the mornings talking about the party the night before the dinner you know and the bottles of wine excessive you know bottles of wine Um, and they were the ones having families and they were the ones having, you know, normal relationships and, uh, being, you know, successful in all areas of their life. So for me to come in and say, you know, I, I figured this thing out and I'm, I'm an alcoholic and I'm going to stop drinking. It was like, yay, India, good for you. You know? (laughs) So I had, you know, a constant support system of people who really loved me and just wanted me to do well because they could see my potential and they saw what was holding me back. Um, to the extent that, you know, they didn't quite know what it was, but it was my own shit that was holding me back, you know, right. whether that was, you know, evidence through my drinking or just evidence through my own inability to see myself worth. You said, you said something interesting, like, um, when you went in and, and, and you almost had like a cheering squad, it, it sounds like to me, and, and certainly correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like that your world knew, but you right. didn't know. right. You know, and and you know what? That's a hard thing to say to somebody. You know, I can imagine it. It was sure. probably really. Um, I, I've actually only had one person in my life be able to say to me to my face, "You're an alcoholic, and you need help." And <laughs> and that's the man I'm married to. <laughs> <laughs> well, you kept him around. <laughs> no, no, he he left me a long time ago, but luckily he came back. <laughs> <laughs> awesome yeah. With flowers and not champagne hopefully <laughs> exactly exactly it sounds like a great guy no no he, right? yeah he is he is that's another thing that people we've talked to how uh their significant other or their partner uh had, had been such a, a strong support mm-hmm. you know to get them through that you know because it's, it's a lot it's easy nowadays for people just to say you know what I'm out. I'm out. Right. Exactly. And, and, but for those who stick by that's, you could, that's true love. You I know what I mean? So, yeah. You're not giving out. up. So yeah, your, your love is helping them, you know, fight through this demon. Certainly unconditional. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. As a user, you're putting a lot of conditions in the way, you know? So, so what are you doing today to, to, to not drink, to keep yourself, sober well first off i mean i, I think like like how long how long ago did that did, did that first meeting take place that was 2007 okay so, so i just celebrated 11 years in april high fives to you yeah. my friend thank awesome. you thank you cool. yeah so what's yeah like tony said like like how are you doing it um you know recovery is a really interesting path and uh it is definitely not for the faint of heart because when you take away the alcohol you're left with all the shit you know, and so you got to understand that, um, you know, the work that's necessary is, is not for, um, it's you, you've got to be desperate, you know, and, and that's the desperation that you come to sobriety with, I think, when you're finally ready to stop drinking and using. And um, that means for me, that means going to meetings, that means sponsoring other women in the program, um, you know, spiritual, like seeking and, and just like, you know, being vigilant, constant vigilance of seeking God in all areas of my life. And how can I be of service without um, 
because I'm a, I'm a give to get kind of person. I grew mm-hmm. up, you know, with, with, I want reciprocation. I want reward. I want accolades. I want to know that what I'm doing is going to get seen, heard and felt. And now there's a different motivation for me to serve my community, serve the people that I know need to either hear the message, feel the message. And, um, you know, and, and a lot of what we say in the program um, of Alcoholics Anonymous that I am a part of is attraction, not promotion. And mm-hmm. when I got sober, I wanted to shout it from the mountaintops because I was just so fucking stoked to be uh, rid of this of this bondage of alcoholism and, and the bondage of self that, you know, created the idea that I needed to take a drink just to survive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to, um, to now understand that it is my presence and, and my ability to be of service to my community just by listening alone huh. is the power of presence. And that is so much of what I try to, to help people understand when you do the work and the internal peace and contentment comes with a relationship with a God of your understanding, you then become a vessel of that no matter where you are, what you do, or what you say. Mm. Wow. I, I'm, I'm writing all these little phrases so strong, you know, <laughs> know, attraction, not promotion, power of presence. I mean, I, all these things that are just you well, know, they, so they can, powerful. They, I mean, they can be mantras, right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Mantras of like, you know, how, how do I explain this moment right now? And, you know, if you have a, if you have a, a box full of mantras, you can pull one out and, you know, usually pull out <laughs> the most perfect one at the time. Right. <laughs> right. So, um, so what, what's like, uh, I don't want to say post sobriety, but you know, since in the last 11 years, like, like, what have you been up to? Or like, like, what's the successes of, 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 you know, post that meeting, we can put it right. Um, it's, it's like everything you thought you want when you got sober. Um, like I thought I wanted, you know, success or I thought I wanted this, this and this, all these material things, you know, it's, it's like it, your, your reward of, of being in service, being sober, you know, being on the natch, what we call it, being natural all the time mm-hmm. um, is that you have these, you know, credible Cheech and Chong moments with, with life, then you're completely sober because you're so present. You get to see things in a completely different way and I think they call that the clarity right yeah the clarity the reward you know you just it's really really powerful Mm, that's awesome what um what I mean I talked about mantras I don't know if you use I use mantras every day of my life Mm -hmm. (laughs) but yeah like what um how do you hold yourself accountable um, staying really honest, staying current with people who can read through my bullshit. Um, you know, I think it's really important to continually understand that I'm a human being, um, spiritual being having a human experience, but at the same time, humans are fallible, messy, and that, um, I need to be compassionate to those parts of myself that are not going to be perfect. Um, you know, I think it's important to, um, to write. Uh, release writing or what we call inventory in the 12 steps, um, mm-hmm. you know, prayer, meditation, um, and being in community, you know, vulnerability through community is something that I think uh, is really lacking in our world right now as a result of us being so, uh, you know, digital and, and um, social media uh, behind the screen so much, you know, we, we've lost our connection to community. We've, we've, we need to rejoin our tribe and come together in commune in that authenticity and vulnerability. Do you still attend these meetings and go to uh, uh, recovery meetings and surround yourself with, uh, you know, very similar, like, you know, minded people and just try to keep it all positive and just keep pushing forward? I do. I, I feel like um, I, I had a baby um, and I, I stopped going to meetings. Um, this was, you know, 2011. And um, I really suffered my, my, myself um, 
just, you know, compassion, my, my ability to, to see things clearly, I, I really lost my way for a bit and I suffered. And so I've been going to meetings regularly ever since I could, um, you know, once she got bigger and childcare was easier. Uh, my, my husband's a professional musician and he's traveling all the time. So I was alone all the time. And just reaching out and asking for help is a really, really hard thing to do. We always talk about the phone being like a thousand pound phone. You just can't pick it up and make a phone call and say, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm struggling. I need help. I need support. Right. Right. Did you, um, did did you use in those bad times or just your brain was going in bad places? I no, I've never relapsed. Um, but I have to be honest with you. I think that something, you know, we don't talk about is, um, all of the different ways that addiction can show up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's, um, I can be, a, I can use a lot of things, you know, I think we wanted to touch on this a little bit that understanding that, um, I have an addictive personality and that I can, um, I can believe that something outside of myself is going to fulfill me the way that God does. And that immediate gratification is always, you know, something that I'm looking for, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) I get that actually. So, you know, it's, it looks like spending money. It looks like, you know, uh, for me, spending money, food, um, you know, zoning out, just getting totally Mm -hmm. sucked into, you know, binging on something, whether it's watching something or reading something. I just want to get lost. I want to get away from myself. Get away from India. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So, um, so if you like, I guess, I mean, you said that just, um, if you were to give somebody advice that, 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 that is new to the journey, you know, do, do you have any advice that you would, uh, that you would give them? Or what would that advice be? That advice would be to be gentle, um, you know, with yourself that you don't have to know it all right now. Just know that asking for help will guide you towards the next indicated step. You know, we say one day at a time and sometimes it's just one minute at a time because you know, you can't, it, it, so much of our anxiety or our, our trap, our mental trap is, you know, getting stuck in the past is that, is that feeling of depression and being in the future is anxiety. And if I can just stay in the present moment and I can be guided by, you know, what might, what that power of, um, of greatness might want for me, not what my finite thinking thinks is going to work for this, this next thing. You know, it's really hard to, to let go of our, um, our small plans and ideas, you know, and it's like, if I can, if I can just get to this, you know, I can not drink today and then I'll be safe or, you know, it's like, just ask for help. Get out of your head. Mm. I love that. Yeah. Beautifully said. Get out of your head, get out of your own way. Hopefully. Exactly. uh, Yeah. Those uh, that are listening, if, if this rings uh in your spirit you know what i mean uh you know just be gentle to yourself like she said and mm-hmm. and, and ask and seek and uh you know i, I think that's beautiful and there's I, so I, many resources too i just want to say you know i have my whole story is on my website and there's a whole resources page um and it's it's called you know um Burnout and Beauty Expert, and there's just tons and tons of resources there. What's your For, webpage? It's indiadone.com. And, you know, I've, I've become an advocate for our industry, for our beauty experts, as a result of having gone through what I, you know, have. Also understanding um, what it is that we do behind the chair and how um, consuming that is. And, and knowing now through 11 years of sobriety, being able to see how, um, you know, not drinking, not having that solution to, to the overwhelm, to the anxiety, uh, to the pressure. Um, I've had to find other you know, solutions, other resources. So that's what I advocate now, you know, as a mentor to other beauty experts in our, in our industry. I love it. Yep. You know, 
I wish I could give you a high five. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. A 3,000 mile high five. <laughs> Thank you. Well, Miss India Dunn, I, I'm just grateful as can be that you joined us and that you shared a little bit about you. A little bit about you. A lot of bit about you. A lot of bit. A lot of bit. A lot of bit. Again, just thank you. And, you know, thank you for being responsible to our community. And, you know, thank you. Uh, thank you again for just agreeing to come on. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it, I know you, even, you know, there was moments there where um, even after 11 years of sobriety, it was still difficult for her or reflection was difficult for her. And, and you know, people just, say it, it's a lifelong struggle, right? Mm-hmm. It's a battle. That's mm-hmm. right. Absolutely. So, you know, and um, again, just thank you very much for um, joining us on uh, your day off. Oh, my gosh, Corey, Tony, thank you so much for inviting me. I feel honored to be here and share this message with your community and you and and to um, to know that I have uh, people on the path with me that are are supporting our community in these ways that that uh, are so meaningful right now. And this this day and age is just even more important than ever has been. Hey, hey, so there it is. Hey, this is a message that um, we've been trying to bring, I don't know, for the last couple of months, actually since we started the podcast. Hey, so if you like the podcast or if you find that it's useful, please, please, please leave us a review, a five-star review on iTunes. Um, leave us a rating and a review. But if you don't like it, forget about it. <laughs> yeah, totally forget about this message. We also want to thank Sarah and Blaine from Pretty Gritty. Uh, Sarah and Blaine, they are a band out of uh, Portland, Oregon, and we just want to thank them very much for allowing us to use their song, Pleased to Meet You, on our podcast. Um, that's cool. I think you can find... Actually, you can. You can find their music on um, on iTunes. Peace and hair grease.